0: Of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 8 and 9. One of my favorite parts of being a pastor. This isn't true of all pastors. It just happens to be one of the things that I really, really love is weddings. I love doing weddings. I love the premarital counseling part. I like the, the part where you get to celebrate in this miracle that two become one. I love about everything there is to to know about or to to be involved with weddings, except for the drama <coughs> part. That, that can get a little overwhelming. But uh, a couple of years ago at Shadowbrook, when, when I was there, I realized that some people had come to know Christ and placed their faith in Christ since they were married. That is, when they were married, they weren't Christians. And, and they had come to, to understand the beauty of the gospel and, they, and trusted the work of Christ. And so they were new creations. And uh, uh, one or two had approached me about, you know, do you ever do renewal vows? And I said, yes, I do. I, it's actually one of my favorite, favorite things. I, one of my favorite things is weddings, but I love the renewal vows. I went on to explain them, I, I said, I love the renewal vows, because usually you do that about year 20, 25. Sometimes I, I've been able to do it twice now, at a 50th re, uh, year renewal vows. And why I like that so much is that by that time, you know better and worse. You know richer and poorer and a lot more poorer than richer. And you know sickness and health. All of a sudden those vows that you promised in theory, kind of in a faith walk, on your wedding day, now all of a sudden those have been challenged by 20, 25, 50 years of reality. I've never done a renewal of vows where people then repeated those vows that there wasn't tears. I mean, some manly men that just, you know, I don't cry about anything. I mean, they're weeping up there because the impact on their hearts at that point when they realize the grace that God has brought them through, 20, 25, 30, 50 years, they begin to understand that this isn't just a love that they had for one another, but the gracious gift that God had for them, that he's brought them through all the challenges, some victories, some losses, but that they're together. That's why I love weddings. It is a picture of the gospel, Paul would tell us. The the truest picture of the gospel is really this this wedding that takes place with the bride, the church and this groom, Christ Jesus himself. Well, this morning, that's kind of a little bit of a backdrop because at Shadowbrook, a couple of years ago, I started off with those one or two that wanted to do a, what we called a covenant marriage. And really that's what biblical marriage is, is a covenant marriage. And I uh, actually designed about five lessons to go along with that so that we would have a good grounding in God's word of what is a covenant marriage. And I was kind of surprised that it wasn't two or three couples. We ended up... With 28 couples, it almost looked like something cultish. I mean, because when we actually did the ceremony, we had, I mean, they were all the way across the stage. They were all across as we repeated those vows one to another. Some of them went on a honeymoon afterwards. A lot of us just went out and ate Italian. But it was one of those things that it was just this beautiful picture that you could see these couples making that commitment one to another and the beauty of what God had done. Well, this morning we come to a covenant. We come to a place, a covenant means a solemn agreement between two binding parties. And one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is that God would covenant with man. He he made a covenant with Adam, and then he made a covenant with Noah. He makes a covenant with Moses, with David. He makes a lot of covenants. He makes a, a very important covenant with Abraham, and he makes all these covenants. And here's the thing, God always keeps his covenants. Does man, did Moses Did Abraham, did the other ones, did they keep their side of the covenant? No. And so God continues to renew this covenant with man. He kind of comes back and he says, okay, I'm still going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to the things that I've promised to you. And, And yet every time man kind of breaks that covenant. This day we live under a different Covenant. We look in the Old Testament, and it's not that covenants are not important, but there is a new covenant that Christ began to describe for the first time in his verbiage around what we would call the Last Supper. Remember the Last Supper? We've been in the last three weeks. We've been going through John 15, and that's actually what happens immediately after the Last Supper. But if we kind of wanted to go in a timeline, if we went just a little bit before that, we would see that there's this Last Supper that Jesus had with his 12 disciples, in the midst of that, one of those disciples, Judas would go and would leave to do what, what he was going to do and betray Christ. But we see this time and Jesus begins to tell them as he has bread and as he has a wine and they're about to partake what they think is a Passover meal. And I think that Jesus honored the Passover tradition, but he brought a newness to that as he established this last supper. Uh I know you're in Hebrews 8 or 9. I hope that you've opened your Bibles there. But look real quickly at Luke 22:19. You can just look on the screen. And he that is Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, "This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Okay, He's about to die just in, in, in hours. And so he's portraying something that they don't really have a reality. They, they don't understand. you know. In fact, to the Jewish people, it was quite offensive. What do you mean eat a body? What, what do you mean drink blood? Even when I was in Israel several years ago, when we went to the restaurant that night, our guide said, now you're going to have to be prepared. You've got to pick one side of the restaurant or the other. Do you want to be on the dairy side or do you want to be on the meat side? And because I said, you mean, they really still don't mix, even in the New Testament? He said, they're Jewish people, okay? They're still kind of in the Old Testament, okay? They're still kind of living there. And we had to pick. Well, of course we picked the meat side. I can do without dairy for the day, but, you know, you wanted a good steak. So we went to the meat side. But it was amazing how kind of some of those Old Testament things were still present there in modern-day Israel, especially there in Jerusalem. And so, uh, so you can only imagine how this hit the disciples. Just kind of went against it. was offensive without understanding. But look what Jesus adds in verse 20, the next verse. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Now these, being Jewish people, they would have understood covenants. They would have understood the covenant with Abraham and with Noah and with Adam, they would have known the history of Israel and how God is a covenant God. He is this God who is promising, and that always keeps his promise. I think they very much also would have been aware that man, on man's side, each one of those in the the nation of Israel very much had broken their side of the covenant to where God had been faithful, they as a people had not been faithful. So Jesus comes along, and, and in his first he says, this cup... This blood that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, why did Jesus say a new covenant? I mean, when God establishes something, isn't that good enough? What is? God's side, again, was not wrong. God didn't say, okay, covenant 2.0. Because God made an improvement from his side. Very important for us to understand that. That when he establishes a new covenant, it is not because in any way the old covenant was insufficient from God's perspective and what God did to honor that. Do you have that? Very important for us to understand that God didn't think upon it a little while. I mean, have you ever made a revision to something? Maybe even a revision of your will. This child out. You know, or whatever. You know, that, you know, that you made a revision because in, in more thinking, with more facts, you decided that this was a better way. God doesn't do that with the old covenant from a perspective that God said, you know, I just didn't promise enough. I didn't, I promised way too much. No, there's always an intention for this new covenant to come. But time, the timing of this comes about at the appropriate time of of history. See, God had already promised that there would be a new covenant. This isn't Jesus sitting around going, you know, since I'm here, why don't we make a new covenant? 600 years before Jesus sits down at this table with his disciples, we have Ezekiel, we have different prophets saying one day there will be a new covenant. This is important for us to understand so that we don't think that God is just adjusting things because of an error. Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 600 years before this last supper. 600 years before Jesus says, this blood, that you know this symbolic blood that you're about to, that's going to be spilled out for you that, you, that you're taking in this wine, symbolism of the real blood that I'm going to spill out for you. I, I want you to know that this has been in the making uh, from eternity past. So God has this promise. That's just one of the many places we see that in the Old Testament where the prophecy, hundreds of years before, is prophesying to this point. But now look what happens. Let's ask that question. Why is there a need for a new covenant? Before we come to this table, why do we need a new covenant? I could go into complex theology if I read somebody else because my mind isn't all that complex. But let me give you the simple answer. It comes down to this, our sin. Why is there a need for a new covenant? Our sin. You can say the sin of man, that is, uh, us collectively as a human race, are falling away, is what I often call big S sin. But then there's also the sin that each one of us independently participated in that sin. <laughs> We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, of the righteousness of God. So the Bible very much tells us what the problem was. It wasn't from God's side. It was from man's side, and it was our sin. God had always kept his covenant. We were the ones that were not faithful. He had always been faithful, but here's what God did. Instead of, you know, in a covenant, in the most legal sense, in the most practical sense, Jacob, you and I have a covenant together, and all of a sudden, you broke that covenant, or I broke that covenant. You can walk away. Let's say I broke that covenant, because you probably would. But you know the pastor, he probably would. So I break this covenant. You can walk away from this binding agreement at that point. In that way, and I hate to use the word contract and covenant in the same sentence, because they are drastically different. But in one way, we would because of this brokenness, we can walk away. Here's the thing. Man continually breaks the covenant that God has made. Now, understand, too, that God is the one that pursued that. man. Abraham didn't wake up with this one morning and go, you know, I'd like to be the father of some great nation. I'd love to have descendants, as many as the sand, pieces of sand on the shore. God always initiated the covenant. Man's the one who broke the covenant. But God did not abandon the covenant. Could God have said, tough, I gave you a chance? In reality, yes, I can make a biblical case of no, because he's holy and because God just is God and he's so faithful. And the bottom line is he doesn't walk away. The bottom line, he doesn't walk away because of our disobedience. He pursues us and desires to make a covenant with us again. But this time it's a new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, now I'm going to read this a little bit slower than I normally do. Remember one of my premises when I stand up here on Sunday morning is I think of you as an intelligent people. Okay? I'm not trying to dummy down anything. I think God gives you wisdom. I think we're wise people. I think we're learned people. So I'm going to treat you like learned people. But I'm going to read this slower because I want us to absorb this. Okay? Listen to what the Word says. Why do we need a new covenant? What is this new covenant? And the Bible actually says that it's a better covenant. Hebrews eight six. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent Could he have added a couple more descriptive words there? (laughs) Would the words excellent been sufficient? In one way, yes. Hey, this other covenant is going to be an excellent one. But what does he say? Much more excellent. I mean, that's like, you know, you're asking your kid on Christmas uh, Christmas morning, what's your favorite toy? Well, I liked them all, but this one was much more excellent. Because it was the favorite toy or whatever. Maybe it was the bike they wanted or this. And here the description is this covenant is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is what? What does it say? It's better. said this new covenant is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. The promise of God is better? No, his his side is sufficient. So somewhere in this better promise, this better covenant, it's reacting to our sinfulness, how we have walked away. What is this better covenant? Let me give it to you in just two sentences. The old covenant was based on your and my obedience. The new covenant is based on, on the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's the old covenant. This is the new covenant. Old covenant, you do these things, I make you this promise: I will bless those, uh, I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you when you do these things. You do these things that are wrong, I, I will, I will curse you. I'll bring calamity. The obedience of man to these commands that God had made was kind of central. You do the Ten Commandments, blessing. You start breaking those Ten Commandments, watch out. And so here in the New Testament, when Christ comes, he said, now you have a better covenant. I'm going to give you a new covenant, and it's better. Why is it better? Because the Older one was based on your obedience and your ability to walk holy. And now I've placed all that emphasis on Christ Jesus and his ability to walk to walk holy and perfect. How many of you with just that, I still got a little bit left, but just that would go, man, I'm ready to come to the table. Because I'm so thankful that this is not because I have somehow achieved perfection. Somehow I have got this morality part down. But now I have put my trust and faith in a Savior that so loved me that he walked in perfection. He walked in total obedience to everything that God wanted, desired, and and needed, or not needed, uh, but required for holiness. And that Christ did that. And he's the sufficient Savior. Please peek out that part when I said need it. That was a slip. God doesn't need anything. Let me correct my wrong theology really quick. So that nobody goes out here thinking that we have a needy God. We don't. He's an all-sufficient God. That was just really a, a bad verbal slip there. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Look to the next verse. If you, if you and I had been able to, 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 to walk the law perfectly, if you and I were able to be perfect... In our obedience, there would not need to be a second covenant, okay? A new covenant. The old one would have been sufficient. But look what he says in verse 7. For if the first covenant had been fruit, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Where does the fault come in the first covenant? God's side, man's side. Okay, let's just make, I know, I said, I'm, I want to treat you as intelligent, but I want to make sure that we get the basics too. That in no way is God in error from the first covenant. We're the ones in error. See, this is the true picture of covenant love. And before we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I I want us to see, The significance of this, in fact, I I can give you quickly three things that changes in our lives because we are now under a new covenant because of Christ Jesus, that we would not have been under the old covenant. He said this is a new covenant. Why? Because it's a better one, much more excellent. I love how that is said, much more excellent. If I went home to my wife today and said, you know, you're a good wife. She might smile. I go up to Carly and say, you are much more excellent, she might smile really bad. Because there's just, you know, something about much more excellent. So what is this much more excellent covenant? Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews begins to introduce Christ in a specific role in this covenant relationship. Covenant is between two binding parties, okay? They're making agreement. And Christ, by the description of God's word, is the mediator. I don't know if you've ever had a lawsuit. I don't know if you've ever had a case or something like that where you needed a mediator. I mean, sometimes we see even in the, in the, in the, the hardship and the hurt of a divorce where a mediator has to come in. And the mediator is basically, he knows that he has two frictional parties. He has two people that have opposing desires, opposing wants. And so a mediator is kind of coming in not just to, to kind of create peace, but, but to, to truly work out this division that's between Two parties. It could be a business deal. It could be a family deal. It could be all kinds of things. But the mediator has a specific purpose. Look what it says in Hebrews 9.15. Therefore he, he's talking about Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed Under the first covenant. It is worthy for us to pause here. And to read that again. Not because we lack intelligence. But because this is weighty. This is good. I need to be reminded of the grace of God before I come to this table. I need to be reminded of the sufficiency of a mediator that while I was a child of wrath, the Bible says, that he chose me and would make me a child of the living God. This is not something we just rush through and then we come to this table and we do kind of a a thing and then we go home. We ponder here, guys. We pause here. And reflect. So let me read this again and understand, break it down in your own mind. Let the weight of this verse, the promise of this verse kind of rest on you because it will prepare you to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions that sins committed under the old law. The old law, based on our obedience. We blew it. What do we deserve? Eternal separation from God. If we go back in church 50 years, we'd say eternal damnation. And and the preacher would have preached about it. Y'all grew up in that church? I did. (laughs) Heard that quite often. I don't make light of it, because God doesn't make light of it. But can we make much of what we've been called out of as we approach this table? We don't make fun because that word seems archaic and old. That word described you. That word described me without Christ. hear this promise of God. So what are these three things? What do we see here? Quickly, quickly. These are not going to be long points and laborious points. First, security rather than insecurity. If your approval of a holy God was based on your obedience instead of the obedience of Christ, how many of you could walk in security this next week? This afternoon to 12. But because Christ said it is finished, and for all who have placed faith on his work, there is a security in that. That does not give us license to sin. It does not give us a a shallowness about sin and a lack of seriousness about our sin. No, we are called to live very holy, very called-out lives. And yet what we understand is now we live with a security found in Christ Jesus rather than a security, hey, I had a pretty good day. I don't know if God gave me a star or not, but I was thinking I deserved a star. Well, which may be fine and dandy for the star days. I don't know how your teacher did it, but have you ever had whatever the method was? Did you ever have one of the bad things hanging? Seth, did you ever have one of those? You know, when they, (laughs) the stars over here. And then, I don't know, different teachers do it different ways. Ms. Kelly, I don't know if you have, okay, you made a wrong choice. This is what we call it today. We're calling wrong choices. But I don't know, if if you just saw my life before a holy God, how many stars and how many of these wrong choices? And so we live in security. Why? Because it is covenant-based. On the finished work of God. We live, most of our Christianity, I'm not trying to offend you. Let's just be practical. Most of us live a very consumer-based Christian life. And God says, no, I want you to live a covenant-based Christian life. Because that's where your security is. Don't come just to what you can get from me in all these various ways. Live in the knowledge that you are orphan and I adopted you. You are the nation of Israel, and you, you rejected me. And I opened at the floodgates and said, Jews, Gentiles, anybody who puts place their faith in Christ, that you come. Second thing, true forgiveness rather than a temporary coverage. How many of you, are uh, in the process of selling your home, okay, so you've got to sign out front for sale. And the realtor calls and said, somebody wants to see your house at 3.30. And it's 3.15. Okay. And so you have 15 minutes. And so you opened up some closets. And you put things away. And maybe you made this big bag over here. And and so when it looked like it was clean, but it was really just kind of covered up. Do you get me there? You know, we've done that before. In a way, the Old Testament sacrificial system was a covering up of our sins. When they took the sheep and the bulls and the goats, it was a temporary covering. It was always meant to be a temporary covering. It wasn't plan 1.0. That failed and God had to go to plan 2.0. It was always God's plan to have a temporary covering that blood sacrifice would be sufficient to cover the sins in a temporary way but that the ultimate sheep, the Lamb of God, would come one day, Christ Jesus, and that he would forever not just cover our sins, but that he would take our sins away, full payment. Look what it says, Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing what? Not a temporary covering. Thus securing He entered once into this. He uses a lot of Jewish illustrations here of, of, you know, of the tabernacle. And and they would have been very familiar with this. And he uses those because that was the Old Testament system. So now Christ has come. And I want you to know that this great high priest, he came once. He didn't go in there once a year. He came once. Because it wasn't once a year and then there was a temporary covering of your sins. He said, no, he, he redeemed you from your sins. Christ has done what bulls and sheep and all the efforts of man could not do. Last, we've been made children of God instead of orphans. 1 John 3:1, Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God. And this is what we are. When we come to this table, Though we have sinned, though there's been times of rebellion as recently as this morning in our hearts, the redeeming work of Christ, if we've placed our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, it has secured for us this eternal redemption. God is not wavering. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, God is not wavering over you in this 50-50 game saying, okay, from this point on, I hope you can be a lot more moral now. It's finished. It's done. Why? Because now we're the children, adopted children. Remember what we said about four weeks ago, that in in Romans chapter 8, that adoption, that you had all these witnesses, And that you could disown your own child, but you couldn't disown somebody that had been adopted? I mean, that's pretty cool. That God would use that illustration to illustrate the permanence of this. How do we do the Lord's Supper at Cornerstone? Well, we make it available to you every week. But about four or five times a year, we do it corporately. In just a second, we're going to have a time of... uh, just praying if you want to play for us and and uh, then you come because the Bible does say that we in First Corinthians eleven twenty eight that we are to prepare our hearts, we're to examine ourselves. What does that mean to examine ourselves? It means that we confess before God, it means that we examine our life, and if we see things, maybe it's just between you and your, your your spouse. And just it wasn't a good morning. I mean, isn't it amazing that some of the most spiritual warfare Happens on Sunday mornings between 8 and 10? How many of y'all would agree with that? Yes. And, and, and so maybe it's as recent as this morning. And we come and we confess. But part of that confession is appreciation because as we confess our sin, thank you. We we, we put in there, along with our confession, we go, thank you that Jesus didn't just cover up my sin this morning, but that he has paid in total to redeem me from this sin, to forgive me permanently for this sin. Thank you, God. And then we come and, and we take this. You can lead your family this. You can come individually. What about people that are not members of our church? Well, we believe in the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ, for all those who have truly come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that that you come to this table because you're my brother and your sister in Christ. You may come from a Presbyterian background, a Methodist background, a this background, but if you have put your total faith of your rightness with the Holy God in the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come to the table today be a part of that. If you have not placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you're still trying to figure out things. You're still kind of working through a lot of those things. I would say lovingly and compassionately, we do not want you to come to this table. And it's not because we're mean people. It's because the Bible has given us warning. We say that out of love for you. Because the Bible says, don't take this unworthily. In other words, this isn't a game. This isn't to, 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 to say, okay, the haves and the have-nots, because it's not based on our performance. It's based totally on what Christ has done for us. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you know that that's the only reason you have a relationship with the Holy God. Brother, sister, you come. and Lead your family. Take it privately. Use time for prayer whatever, uh, to prepare your heart and your mind this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for a new covenant. In a time when you could have abandoned us because we broke the old covenant, you kept on pursuing us. And, Father, this wasn't a new idea that you just kind of entered in your mind. But, Father, we can see from the prophecies of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others. Father, this truly was the plan before eternity. Father, the eternal plan that you had for all of time. Thank you. And, Father, we thank you that you did show us our sin. So that we would know that we are in need of a Savior. And we could appreciate the gift, Father, of your Son, Christ Jesus. Father, thank you that no longer do we have to bring birds and and goats and and sheep and bulls into a, a sanctuary so that there can be a temporary covering of our sin. But once and for all, that the Lamb of God came and said, it is finished and we glory in that until the day Father that, that, that you send him again until that day that we can see him face to face Father we will keep on taking this supper out of the remembrance of what has been done and to remind us of the promise that is yet to be fulfilled let this be a special time a holy time Father as we pray all these things in Christ Jesus